This is Live Well Talk on Shoulder Replacement Surgery. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at UnityPoint Health, St. Luke's Hospital. Joining me today is Dr. Blake Iberg, orthopedic surgeon with uh, Physicians Clinic of Iowa to discuss shoulder replacement surgery, types of shoulder injuries, recovery process, and more. Dr. Iberg, welcome. Thank you for having me, Dr. Arnold. So you're an orthopedic surgeon. I am. Why? You know, when I was in med school, uh, I actually thought I wanted to be an ear, nose, and throat surgeon. And after my ear, nose, and throat uh, clerkship, I decided that probably wasn't me. And uh, I did it. We, the University of Iowa requires you to do an orthopedic uh, clerkship. And I saw my first, uh, the first thing I saw was a knee replacement. And uh, there was just something about uh, helping people's quality of life and just having that that finite change in a status going from unable to walk or unable to move your arm. And then all of a sudden you could do those things. And that, that was really satisfying to me um, to change someone's function and their quality of life after they'd been painful for so long. And how did you, was it serendipity or how did you gravitate towards shoulders? So I, when I, I know you in, do more than that. I'm okay, just saying your specialty is that. So uh, in residency, I just had some great mentors that were, that were shoulder surgeons. And that was really just who I was surrounded by people who focused on shoulder and who were kind of uh, if you would call them specialists in the shoulder world and that, uh, I wanted to go to a, um, you call it a reputable shoulder, uh, fellowship program. And then these were people who were able to mentor me toward that end. Uh, and then I ended up going to Florida Orthopedic Institute in Tampa, uh, which was an awesome experience. Probably the, the, probably the pinnacle of my orthopedic training was in Tampa. A little bit better weather than here too. A little bit, a little bit. So let's just start off. With what what is the most? What do you see as shoulder injuries? Mm -hmm. So I would say uh, they kind of come in two categories. I, I split things in the shoulder, and this is very simplified. It's obviously more complex than this, but you kind of have folks who your older patients who are more of the arthritic patient, and then you have you know some of your older patients are also, uh, but more younger patients that are I would say. Uh, rotator cuff injuries and things like that. Uh, you get even into the younger, younger patients and you start having more sports related injuries like shoulder instability. Um, but I would say in general, I, I split shoulder injury into rotator cuff or soft tissue shoulder versus arthritis. And, okay. uh, and the reason I split it up that way is because the treatment for those is kind of dichotomous and different. So for arthritis, after they've exhausted their non-operative management, you have a shoulder replacement of some type. Uh, whereas with rotator cuff, uh, depending on the source of the injury, whether it's traumatic or more degenerative, uh, you may have a rotator cuff repair that's done arthroscopically. It has always impressed me, or maybe it doesn't impress me more, how the degenerative rotator cuff injury can just happen over time and the patient never really remembers this sudden event, you know, nope. it just, it just slowly happens. And, you know, sometimes the patient will argue with it. Well, it can't be my rotator cuff because yeah. I know so-and-so and they felt a pop and yep. I'm like, boy, man, it's really acting like that. And the MRI says it comes back. That's always impressed me. Yeah. And I think what I tell patients uh, when it comes to rotator cuff is that rotator cuff tearing in, in the older population outside of injury is really a part of normal aging. So uh, the, these are, attenuated tendons, you know, uh, there's not a great blood supply to these tendons and over time it diminishes. And you can imagine the think about the range of motion of your shoulder and how much it sees over a lifetime. And I will tell you, if I got an MRI of 50 people, hundred people over the age of 50, I'm going to find 50 rotator cuff tears. And I will tell you that over 90% of those people who have an MRI uh, confirmed cuff tear will have no symptoms. Hmm. Okay. So, and, and we can say that for a lot of our, our advanced imaging is that, you know, we can find a lot of things anatomically that may not look normal, but that may be of no clinical consequence to the patient. Now, you talked about non-surgical interventions initially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of those is injections. Yep. Uh, 
tell us a little bit about what what is injected steroid injections steroid injections so i would say that um the pinnacle of non-operative management really starts with physical therapy okay uh, when when you start having pain in your shoulder uh, your body tries to compensate and so uh, you start using your shoulder in a way that um, it wasn't meant to be used you start kind of compensating you start using your traps and pulling your pulling it up and so people start to complain of neck pain usually and sort of uh, scapular pain when they when they have a rotator cuff problem uh, and so going to physical therapy and retraining those muscles is really the, the pinnacle of treatment because most people will find that once they go to therapy for six weeks their their pain resolves now cortisone injections are also a part of that um, I would say that you know, a lot of what keeps patients from using their shoulder appropriately is that it hurts. And cortisone right. is a long-acting anti-inflammatory. And especially for people who have a really inflamed shoulder, cortisone can be an incredibly effective way to just really get their pain down to you know one or zero so that they can actually perform their physical therapy. I think of cortisones kind of like uh, inflammation is like a fire and cortisone is like a fire hose and you put it all right on the fire and it puts it out. Now, it doesn't work for every pathology uh, equally, I would say, but for most people that have a really inflamed shoulder, it's a great way to get you back to baseline so that you can start working on therapy because therapy is really the mainstay uh, and making sure you do your therapy at home after you've been discharged from the therapist is also really important for the long-term health of your shoulder. Interesting. Um, in, is there a limit to the number of times you can inject a steroid before you say we need to move on to? So, so the answer, the short answer to that is yes, but I will also say that I think that that is, there's a nuance to that. So when yeah. I'm, when I'm talking about somebody with a, a rotator cuff problem, absolutely. So when somebody comes sees me and they have nuance at shoulder pain, um, and they have normal x-rays that don't show arthritis, I'll generally recommend physical therapy and a cortisone injection. And then I have them come back and see me in two months. And if their pain has not resolved or it's, or it's maybe it got better, but then it came back, um, I will send them for an MRI uh, to look for any uh, rotator cuff tearing or other internal derangement that I could address arthroscopically. Um, we also have a discussion about goals of care at that point too, because you know if I have a 75-year-old who has some shoulder pain and they got better, but maybe they're not way back to baseline at that eight week mark, but they're they're doing okay. Um, we may forego an MRI and just say, hey, you know, why don't we see how it goes? Because everybody's a little bit different. Um, I would say in younger patients, I am very uh, judicious with cortisone injections because uh, long-term effects of cortisone can be detrimental. Could to, accelerate yeah, the- they, they can, yeah. and they can accelerate degeneration. They can cause problems with cartilage, which is why in young people, I generally stay away from them. Now, let's move on to the surgical intervention and in, in, in what you do. But I want to start that off by saying as an internist, I, I don't think patients appreciate how much they walk with their arms. Mm -hmm. You know, your, their arms are yeah, part, it, of, part of balance. It is. And yeah. it's easier to have your leg in a cast than your arm yeah. in a sling, I think, for balance wise. Yeah. Uh, so they're big surgeries, but kind of tell us yeah. about what, what, what does the surgery all entail? So I'm going to focus, I'll focus on, uh, you know, like I said, there's kind of two types of surgery. There's arthroscopic and there's, uh, kind of open, uh, shoulder replacement, which is what we're talking about today. So, um, I would tell you that for open shoulder replacement, and I want to kind of dispel any myths because, uh, interestingly, our, our arthroscopic rotator cuff repairs tend to be quite a bit more painful post-operatively than our open shoulder replacements in most cases, not really? for everybody in most cases. <laughs> And everybody has a friend who had a, quote, shoulder surgery, and folks can be a little bit scared of that sometimes. They say, they say, man, you know, my friend had a rotator cuff, and it really, really hurt after surgery. And, you know, the person presenting to me may be somebody with bad arthritis that needs a shoulder replacement who lives in, you know, six, seven out of ten pain every day and can't move their arm. And I would tell you that that person, even on postoperative day one and two, may feel better than they did before they came in. And so it's really important to distinguish that, you know, rotator cuff and 
arthroplasty are two different things. You know, sometimes you see that in the, the little lady with bad osteoarthritis. She's uh-huh. 80. Yeah. She breaks her hip and you guys do a partial. Yeah. And she's like, this is better than prior yeah, what, to, you know. What it was before. Yeah. yeah they're absolutely. like, I don't need pain medicine at all. Yeah. This is yeah. great. They feel great. Yeah. yeah. Arthritis is really debilitating, especially as you, you look at the hip when you, you walk on the hip. It's just those, that, that's really hard. I will say one thing that I think keeps folks from seeking help with their shoulders earlier on is that we don't walk on our shoulders. So like, you know, they're not weight bearing. You can kind of, you know, if they need to keep it still, it's easier for them to do. Um, but interestingly, you know, once people realize, you know, postoperatively how much better they feel, they're like, wow, I was in bad shape. Yeah. yeah, because of that slow, progressive, just and know. they just get used to it. And, you yeah. know, these are generally I would I would say you know the older generations are tough people and they just live with it. Um, but you know they kind of start getting this really stiff shoulder and they realize that they're not really using it anymore because it just doesn't work the way it used to. So kind of to walk us through the surgery. I know there's this topic of reverse uh, shoulder arthroplasty. And I got to be honest, I don't know what the difference is. Can you tell us? Sure. So there's, in general, there's two types of shoulder replacements. There's something that's called just a, what we call it an anatomic shoulder replacement. Uh, That was the original shoulder placement that was, you know, uh, implemented, you know, probably 60, 70 years ago. Obviously our implants have changed, but that was what they did years ago. And in over about the last 20 years, we've developed in the United States, something called the reverse shoulder replacement. Now the reverse has been, in different forms in Europe since the 70s. So it's not a completely new technology, but it was FDA approved in 2004. And uh, so I'll start with an anatomic and then we'll get into reverse. So anatomic shoulder replacements are really indicated for people who have what I would call end-stage arthritis, um, who have an intact rotator cuff. So you to have a regular shoulder replacement in anatomic, you need an intact rotator cuff. And the amount of deformity on the socket side of the shoulder needs to be an acceptable amount. So uh, our shoulders, the socket tends to start facing backwards as our as arthritis progresses in the shoulder. Huh. And if the socket faces backwards too much, you can't reliably place the plastic socket that needs to go in there for a shoulder replacement. And that's really one of the newer indications for a reverse shoulder replacement, okay? Um, but for, for folks who are, they're usually a little bit younger, a little bit more active, who have an intact rotator cuff and less deformity on the socket side, we can do a total shoulder replacement, okay? So the reverse shoulder replacement was originally designed for people who do not have an intact rotator cuff, okay? Okay. The job of the rotator cuff is is to keep the ball centered in the socket. A lot of people want to want to think that the job of the rotator cuff is to actually move your arm, and to a certain extent, it can be. Um, but really, the rotator cuff keeps the ball centered in the socket so that the other nineteen muscles around the shoulder can move it in space. Okay, and when you lose your rotator cuff uh, for, like we talked about, just regular aging attenuation, yeah. that ball starts to ride up in the socket. And as the ball becomes decentered, your shoulder is sort of subtly destabilized. And all those muscles around your shoulder, um, they don't, they're not working at the same lengths that they used to be. And so you can get something called pseudoparalysis where people can't raise their arm uh, because the shoulder's not stable anymore. And it's not because they have a nerve injury. It's because the, the shoulder's not centered. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So what a reverse shoulder replacement does is, as you can imagine, the name reverse. Uh, normally, the ball is on the outside and the socket is on the inside. We put a ball on the inside and a socket on the outside. And that ball on the inside creates a stable fulcrum for the socket on the outside to rotate around. Huh. I always thought it was like a posterior approach or something. So there's a guy in Cincinnati that does posterior approach for every shoulder replacement. He's the only person in the country that does it. It's very interesting. Wow. No one else does it though. (laughs) I I had a patient one time that 
had seen him for something else, but he had the rotator cuff arthropathy where he mm-hmm. just had yeah. it just degenerated to the point that he it formed like a new joint, yep. you know, and just absolutely nothing he could do for it. Yep. And that that's like I would say that was the initial indication for reverse shoulder replacement was these folks who had had longstanding rotator cuff tears that their humeral head had risen all the way up. And because of that destabilization, uh, they developed the arthritis, which yeah. we call rotator cuff tear arthropathy, which is distinguished in some ways to just regular old arthritis. Now, every every patient, the first question they ask, how long's the recovery? Tell us about the recovery. So I would tell you, I I put the recovery into phases, okay? Okay. Most people who are appropriately indicated, meaning they have end-stage arthritis and debilitating pain, their pain is going to be better by two weeks. They're going to feel better from a pain standpoint almost, I won't say immediately, but very quickly, right? The uh, rehabilitation is a little bit slower in terms of getting our function back. So for myself, my rehab is that I start them in physical therapy at six weeks, all right? At six weeks, they work on range of motion, getting all of their range back with their physical therapist. And then at three months, they can start strengthening it and they have no restrictions at that point. So I would say like full, no restrictions, do whatever you want with it is three months. Okay. But in terms of just the relief from the pain is nearly, nearly immediate. We stressed that on previous podcasts about how important that post-operative therapy is when we talk about knee replacement. I'm sure it's the same with shoulder. It it is. It is absolutely critical. Um, You know, we have some folks who are a little more self-directed and can kind of do it on their own. Uh, But I would say that um, particularly with the shoulder, because as you say, you don't have to walk on it. It's very easy to ignore it if you want to keep it in a sling. Uh, so it's it's important to go to your physical therapy visits and make sure you're working on that range of motion because uh, you can get stiff after these if you don't work hard. So patients had shoulder uh, surgery. Do, do they go home or do they stay the night in the hospital? So my patients generally stay one night in the hospital, okay. so, but we certainly do have some patients that are going home. Uh, the total shoulder is not presently on the, it's, it's not off the inpatient only list from Medicare and most of my patients are Medicare. So um, everything is be, being done in a hospital versus say a, a ambulatory surgery center at this time. Uh, I do think just like most things, that is where this is going to move and that I think uh, select patients uh, will be going home the day of surgery and some people already do. Okay. Yeah. What, what's, uh, what's on the horizon for shoulder? What is on the horizon? Yeah, so what do you, what I, do you I think- see happening? I think what we're we're trying to sort of bridge the gap right now between the person that needs that has a rotator cuff that's not repairable, uh, but is presently not uh, ready for a joint replacement. Okay, because as you can imagine, somebody that has a long-standing rotator cuff tear, or maybe they've even had a rotator cuff repair in the past um, that has failed, um, uh, those sometimes are not repairable, but they they have painful rotator cuff tears. So you can't fix it arthroscopically. Um, so what do we do in between the person who has arthritis or, or t- rotator cuff arthropathy and the and the unrepairable painful rotator cuff t- repair? And I don't think we know the answer to that. One of the things that is being used right now, uh, even in uh, here in Cedar Rapids, is, is something called a balloon arthroplasty. Uh, I have not performed this procedure myself, but it's you know it's kind of the all the rage on the on the circuits the orthopedic circuits right now is arthroscopically they will insert uh, basically an angiocatheter with a balloon in it, and it inflates with saline. And it pushes the humeral head down to stabilize it. Um, and it kind of, you know, I told you that when the rotator cuff tears, yeah. it kind of rides up. It just stabilizes it in a way, in kind of the way that a reverse does. It's not a permanent operation, but it may provide people some relief. Huh. And I would say that level one trials are presently under underway for that. We just don't know the answer. Wow. That's interesting. You know, I, I always say I was, I'm, ne- I'm not the type of person that would ever be innovative in that. You know, I would never think of doing something kind of out of the box like that. Yeah. 
I always say that if I lived, you know, in the Middle Ages, they told me the earth was flat. I go, man, all right. You know, just kind of go without <laughs> yeah. my business. I wouldn't. But uh, Dr. Iberg, thank you for joining me. I know you're busy uh, and informing our listeners about shoulder replacement surgery. Once again, this was Dr. Blake Iberg, orthopedic surgeon with Physicians Clinic of Iowa. To learn more, visit unipoint.org. Thanks, Dr. Arnold. Appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.